Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we, as usual, unpack the big political stories of the week. My name is Mike Siluma. And this week, we start by talking about money in our politics, more specifically, the High Court's decision to keep sealed the CR17 funding details, which was, of course, the funding that was for uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's campaign for the ANC presidency way back in 2017. And we ask, what is the decision's impact on transparency and accountability, as well as the role of money in our politics? After that, we'll try and make sense of the apparent broken telephone in the government's uh, security cluster in the wake of last week's rioting in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng. This icon is racist. I've never, ever been a spy. Can the PBS bank uh, loot? The problem is that pinky. I'll never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shape. Arms, can you please come I'm in? Let's welcome now our guests for this week's conversation, uh, Dr. Stembi Lembete, who teaches politics at the University of Pretoria, Fred Repkin, the Sunday Times legal correspondent, as well, of course, as Bongagonke uh, Shoba, who's the Sunday Times politics editor, a regular visitor uh, on the show. Welcome to all of you. Fred, let, let us start with you. What are the issues that were before the court this week and who were the parties? So what happened was, if you recall, when the public protector released her report into the CR17 campaign. She revealed that during the course of her investigation into the donation made by Gavin Watson of AGO or Busasa, during the course of that investigation, she acquired from the Financial Intelligence Center the bank statements or the banking records of the whole of the CR17 campaign over the course of some months. And she revealed when she released her report that millions of rands had been raised for that campaign. And the precise number of millions was disputed, but it was a lot of money. And she said that there was the risk of some sort of state capture on the part of the donors. And she said that the speaker should require that the identities of those donors and the amounts that they that they had donated should be disclosed. That was one of the remedial actions that she directed in her report. She also said that there was a prima facie case of money laundering that the NPA should investigate um, amongst a number of other findings. Now, of course, that was a very explosive finding and the president challenged it in court. He won in the high court that then went to the constitutional court. And while the constitutional court's judgment was pending, what then happened was that the the EFF, which was a party to the to the case in the High Court, launched a separate case wanting access to those financial records. So what happens, just to explain, Bramank, is that when you go to court, when you challenge something in court, the decision maker whose decision you're challenging, in this case, the public protector, has to put a record of her decision before the court. That means all the documents upon which her decision was based. So the public protector said, fine, and she took all the documents, including these bank statements that she had gotten from the Financial Intelligence Center, which were supposed to be confidential according to the Financial Intelligence Center, and put them in court. Now, court documents are public documents normally. So then the president's lawyers asked the DJP to put them in a sealed envelope. 
which he did. And he said, if anyone has a problem with that, they can raise it in court. The matter goes to court. They fight in court. Judgment comes out. The public protector loses. It goes on appeal to the constitutional court. Then after that, the EFF says, no, we want that envelope. We want those documents. And they launch a separate court case asking the court to publicly release or what they called unseal that record. That was the judgment that came out this week where the high court then said, no, you can't have them. Very, very important. It's just laying, you know, uh, the, the, the ground for our conversation. Uh, the, the EFF's particular interest in the matter, what would it be, Dr. Mbete? Because these are two separate political parties. The funding relates to a, a supposedly rival political party. So wh- why would they be so keen to know what, you know, a candidate in a rival political party, uh, how much money or where, where, where the money would have come from? Well, for the EFF, what they say is that their interest in the CR17 funding records is that they want to know if there is anyone who could uh, have undue influence over the president and have the possibility or the ability to influence decisions in the form of state capture in the way as we saw under former President Zuma and with the Guptas. And so the EFF have said that that is their primary interest in the unsealing of those records because they say that it is important for accountability and for transparency. Indeed, the EFF claims, and they claimed in their court papers, that one of their own members, one of their own parliamentarians received assistance from President Ramaphosa that was drawn from uh, those CR17 funds. And so they argue that it is in the public interest for the donors to that fund to be disclosed in order to effectively protect uh, South Africa's democracy and its politics. Of course, we know that the bigger political game, I think, for the EFF is to try to show that the administration of President uh, Ramaphosa is not that different from that of former President Zuma, and that this would certainly play into the EFF's hands in terms of weakening or being able to make a case uh, to weaken the ANC. The the question of uh, of money in our political system, that doesn't only apply to uh, the ANC, does it? For example, the EFF itself, you know, would be raising money from somewhere, you know, uh, and all the other political parties, whether it's a DA or, or in, in any of the, of the many political parties that we have. What is the money used for? Let's just reduce it to, to, to the CR17 campaign or the ANC campaigning uh, process, because we were talking about millions and millions, apparently. What is the money used for? Well, Mike, as a, as a veteran of, of covering um, party conferences, especially ANC conferences, a, a lot of money is, uh, is used, Bra Mike, to, to run campaigns uh, for, for whatever position you want to occupy within the ANC. So uh, there will be money uh, that will be used from the stages of campaigning uh, when, um, when certain leaders need to move around. Uh, they move around different, um, uh, different parts of the country. Um, they need uh, they need flights. They need uh, car hire. They need um, 
accommodation and when they get there you need the venue uh you hire a hall or um, a stadium or, or you have it in in, in an uh, open area which would won't cost you anything so there's a lot that goes in then you t- have to transport these people um that, that you want to address and and influence so if you are having an event in um in in, in, in johannesburg you transport people from from alex uh, from from soweto you hire buses and and a lot of money goes into that and that also goes until the time of conference so what usually happens in anc conference especially i, I I'm, I'm not familiar with the da or how they conduct their, their conference but with the anc the people who are contesting and and their lobbyists keep a very close eye on their delegates uh, that is why you would find that the anc would arrange some kind of accommodation for its delegates who are going to come to the conference but you'll find that different factions will um, accommodate their own delegates so that's why there, there was talk that there were there was accommodation that was booked somewhere but some delegates end up sleeping somewhere in sentin it's because lobbyists keep a close eye on their delegates they make sure that the delegates is eating if the delegates smoke they make sure that the delegate has a cigarette if the delegates drinks alcohol they make sure that there's enough alcohol so the delegate does not move uh, around and influenced by other people so th- those are the kind of monies that uh, those are the kind of things that these these monies are used for of course there are allegations that um, delegates are then bought uh, during um, uh, these conferences which is something that um, no one is can, can actually prove right now but running a campaign for to contest for an ANC position requires a lot of money as i've just stated mm. but should should not uh, elections especially electing leaders who are likely to you know whether they're in the ANC or anywhere else who are likely to influence the direction of the country should should those the determining factor not be the policies and the values etc etc as opposed to whether you've got money in your how how deep your pockets are unfortunately like it doesn't work like that but you still find different factions using uh, different policy stances as a campaign tool but not everyone who who's campaigning around whatever policy stance actually believes in in in, in that policy stance um it 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 has been proven for over the years um if you remember pramike many of those people who are now in the ret faction um that is led by their father they call him the father of ret uh former president jacob zuma were opposed to these radical positions um as far back as 20, uh, 2010 uh when um, the youth league uh, which was then led by Julius Malema was uh, pushing for for the same policies and now that he is now out of power you find uh, people around him claiming that he this is what he stands for which is something that he had opposed in the past which tells you that it's really not about these policies it, it, it they they just use uh, such policy stances as a campaign tool and then comes the issue of money um as i outlined like that you, you you really can't run a campaign with that money it's 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 almost impossible i've had ridiculous figures being thrown around campaigns of of nc leaders whose campaigns were not even visible and and you are told that these people spent millions of friends and you wonder where was this campaign it's really because a lot of money is required 
when you need to run such campaigns and and and, and then you, you can choose whatever policy stance that is, is fashionable uh, during that period and and you become um populist and you use that and and and, and you win your your, your conference friendly just before we go off the court process itself we, i mean we, we're talking here about money versus policy uh, and values did, did this come up as a factor at all when the court was considering the matter? There's two separate court cases. Um, one of them was the one with the judgment that came out this week, which is apparently still ongoing because it's being taken on appeal. The other interesting one that's that which was is finished in a way because the constitutional court has finally decided. But one thing that the Constitutional Court left open, which is now going back to the High Court, is whether the Executive Ethics Code is constitutional. There was an argument made by friend of the court, Amabungani, that if the court should find that the Executive Ethics Code does not require the disclosure of internal political fundraising donations, in other words, when people are fundraising inside their party, they, they should be required to disclose those donations under the Executive Ethics Code. And if they're not required to at present, they sh- then, that, then that means the code is unconstitutional. That was the argument that Amabogani was making. They didn't care about the fight between the public protector and the president, but they came in on this point of principle. Now, when that was in the High Court, the High Court decided that they didn't want to decide that issue. They said it was a very important issue, but they didn't weren't deciding it on some technical grounds. And when it went to the constitutional court, the constitutional court said, uh-uh, this was should have been decided in the high court. And they sent it back to the high court. So that is now going back to the high court and should be heard in September. And there we are now going to see a debate about what the scope of the executive ethics code should be as far as the disclosure of donations? Should it only be... um, So we know that the Executive Ethics Code, for example, if you get gifts, you have to disclose them if you're a minister. Um, And Amabungani is saying, well, you should also have to disclose if you're campaigning inside your political party and you're a minister, you should also have to disclose those donations. So that's going to be an interesting one to see how that pans out. But it's still to be argued before court. Okay. Dr. Ambeti, last word goes to you on this issue. Why should South Africans care, actually, about this this, this court case? Because it seems to be a fight between uh, vested interests, uh, you know, whether 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 it's the, the EFF or Amapungane, or, but, but it doesn't seem to be... And, you know, an issue of broader interest among South Africans. Why, why should we care about, about the court case? Well, the reason we should care is because uh, of the very close relationship between financial interests and democratic politics. And indeed, one of the arguments that the EFF made in its case uh, was that in order to be able to, Section 19 of the Constitution protects our political rights, and they argued that in order for a, a citizen to be able to make their political choices freely, then they need to know as much as possible about those political parties, and they should know who the donors of uh, those political parties are, and even individual 
leaders within those political parties. And so the way in which that has been solved to some degree in the level of political parties is with the uh, passing of the Political Party Funding Act, which came into operation uh, on the 1st of April uh, of this year. And what that does is that it sets requirements for political parties to disclose their donors above a particular threshold, as well as providing for public funding to political parties. But the issue around internal party contests is still unresolved because there may be limits on private funding of political parties broadly. There is no regulation or requirement of transparency uh, with regards to internal party contests. And that's what's at issue here. And, um, And what's really important about it for the general public is that you know, if we know who our political leaders are taking money from um, and how much money they are taking uh, from those people, then it provides us with um, a sense of where those political leaders could be influenced um, and, and what some of their weaknesses or vulnerabilities may be. And it contributes to uh the ability for us to hold those leaders to account and to exercise greater vigilance uh, over the policy processes uh, of government. So it does matter uh, for us to know who funds not only our political parties, but individual politicians as well. Okay, let's go to the other uh, big issue, you know, uh, politically of the week. The apparent uh, disagreement in cabinet in characterizing the violence that uh, happened uh, over the last week in Gauteng and in Guazulu-Natal on whether uh, we were faced with an insurrection, a counter-revolution, or just plain thuggery. So what would you say we've just experienced? Is is it one of the above or all three or some some of it? Pramike, uh, if, 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 if the ministers don't know what it was, Pramike, how do you expect um, an ordinary South African like myself to know what it was? But w- what I can say, Pramike, is that we are in this situation be- kind, precisely because of the, 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 the left hand has no idea what the right hand is doing. Um, we are in this mess because uh, we, we have incompetent people occupying uh, very crucial positions uh, in this country. And and really, um, if, if President Cyril Maposa does not make changes in, in his cabinet in the in the in the coming days or weeks, um, then uh, we'll reach a conclusion that he is not better than the previous regime. The public spat from that has taken place between the, the ministers ministers in the security cluster um, really tells you that um, there is no way that uh, they could have stopped what happened because um, they they have no clue. They are just like me and you uh, sitting here. Um, the Minister of State Security says I had the information, I sent it. Uh, did, she, did, did she Korea it? Did she send an SMS? Did she WhatsApp? Did she email? Did she send it via the post office? Who, who knows? Uh, did Peggy try to get it? And uh, if he did, what did he do? He claims he didn't get it. So we are just in a mess. Um, I, I, I can't really find words to define what you are going through as a country, really, unless there is some kind of, of urgent um, intervention um, in terms of the president taking action. Because it seems as if these divisions, but I might even in cabinet, it's, they seem to be aligned 
um, the, the pre-Nazarek factions, and, and it seems as if the Nazarek hangover even exists within the, within the President Cyril Ramaphosa's cabinet. And, and if he doesn't uh, take action and make changes or, or uh, I don't know, crack the whip uh, or something like that, uh, then we are in for, for even bigger crisis in the future. Can you imagine, Bramak, if we were under attack from uh, outside uh, forces, um, w- what would have happened? And, and, and we would still be having this conversation when we... Dr. Mbete, as Mwagonke is mentioning the, the, the possibility or the need probably of a of a cabinet uh, reshuffle, if, if you were president, is that what you would be doing now? Or would you wait? Look, if I was the president, I certainly would be doing a cabinet reshuffle uh, now in order to consolidate control over the cabinet, especially given the ministers who have shown themselves to be not up to the task uh, of, of doing their work. But I do think that there's something a bit more fundamental that is at issue here, which is that um, all of the ministers that you mentioned sit on the National Joint Operational and Intelligence Structure, which was we heard was meant to be meet, was meeting every day from the mandate that the president spoke to the country uh, about the events in KwaZulu-Natal the previous weekend. So these are all people that are ostensibly sitting in the same meeting room every day and that are meant to have a a joint uh, communication strategy uh, and that are meant to have the same the same story. And so what this indicates is that some of those basic processes of government are not working the way that they should be working. And the individuals that should be able to exercise uh, some oversight and some con- uh, control over the communications uh, of the different departments that are part of the NAT joint structure uh, just aren't properly functioning. And it won't really matter who you put in place in those different uh, cabinet positions if there is no functional processes for how to manage something of this kind. And so, yes, I think that uh, President Ramaphosa should be reshuffling his cabinet. There are many people in that cabinet that shouldn't be there, but he also needs to be having a bigger conversation about how the structures of his government and of his cabinet are actually operating. And and in the in the reshuffle, what, what should he be looking for? Competency or political loyalty? Competence. Um, at this stage, political loyalty isn't going to save him as president of, of South Africa because it's not clear that there'll be an ANC or a South Africa left uh, at the end of all of this. And so for his own credibility uh, and for the credibility of his political project, then he should be looking to put the right people into the right jobs. One of the things that we are dealing with as a country is the complete deinstitutionalization of different parts of the state, our basic um, basic parts of the administration just aren't functioning anymore. And he needs to be putting in place leaders who will be able to oversee the rebuilding of institutional capacity in the South African state, because none of the reforms that he wants to implement are possible without that. 
Very briefly, when you go to bed at night right now, given everything that has happened that we've been talking about, um, would you would you be comfortable uh, falling asleep uh, in the on the assumption that government is on top of the security situation? No. Um, I don't think government is on top of the security situation and uh, our security cluster has been found wanting, uh, very seriously wanting uh, in the past uh, few weeks. And that doesn't leave a great deal of confidence uh, for the security of, um, of the nation, of national security, or indeed of the security of individual citizens within uh, the borders uh, of, of South Africa or anyone who's within the borders of South Africa. And so, um, yeah, and if I was the president, this would keep me up at night. Any chance that the situation that's just been described by Dr. Mbete can be turned around or will be turned around soon? I was chuckling when Dr. Mbete mentioned the need to appoint competent people. (laughs) Um, Because, Mike, have you looked at that NEC of the NC? Because that's the pool that presidents uh, over the years have, have chosen uh, their, their, their ministers. The word competence um, and, and that NEC can't be mentioned in, in the same sentence. It's packed with, um, with people that we know um, that have a track record of, um, of, uh, of incompetence. Um, uh, and um, and the president is in a very difficult position, Pramik, uh, because he 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 leads a party um, that has allowed a situation where the 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 incompetent people um, are able to rise up its ranks. It's precisely because it is the incompetent people who are unethical and who are able to manipulate uh, uh, processes. Um, it goes back to the point we're talking about the issue of money. Uh, ethical leaders, Pramik, um, um, uh, good citizens, will not uh, want to uh, rise up or seek a position by abusing um, state resources, um, uh, stealing money from the state in order for them to fund their campaigns, and then and then for them to be elected. They, that is why um, um, ethical leaders within the ANC are, are, are being chucked out of, this, of the system, precisely because they are unable to participate in whatever is going on. So President Ramaphosa now sits with the, with the headache of going back to his NEC and looking for competent people. I wish him luck, Pramay. Okay, folks, don't we all, don't we all wish him luck uh, at this point? Um, and, and unfortunately, that's all we have time for on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly this week. And I'd like to thank uh, our guests for this week's conversation, Dr. Stembele Mbete, who teaches uh, politics at the University of Pretoria, Freni Repkin, Sunday Times uh, legal correspondent, as well as uh, Sbongagong Keshoba, who's the Sunday Times politics editor. And by the way, you can find uh, a podcast of this conversation on iono.fm, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you prefer to source your podcasts. Until next time, stay safe, sanitize, wear the mask, and avoid crowded places. Mike Siluma, signing off. Mm-hmm.